Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. Exciting week for us tonight because we are talking about the Orville and some really exciting news that it got unveiled on the weekend that continues to be unveiled tonight. You don't want to miss it. Stick around, put everything aside, prepare for this, and just wait for that ominous moment where you go, <gasps> This is going to be intense. I love it. <laughs> this is Category 5 Technology TV. Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to the show, everybody. So great to have you here for episode number 609. We've got a great show planned this week. And it's been quite a week, hasn't it? It sure has. You and me are superstars That's a la video game. That we are. Well, I'm kind of jealous. Would you like an autograph? Jeff. You weren't here that week. I know. Don't rub it in. Anybody who's watching the show a fan of the Orville? Yes. Yeah. Me too. Me too, Jeff. So that's why I was so honored when the Orville Interactive Fan Experience decided to feature Sasha and I Thank in you. game. Yeah. But uh, I did notice you're both in red shirts. I That's gave them a, a hard time that. over that, and they said, go, Robbie, go. Save the ship. And you didn't have weapons either. I didn't. There's a battle going on. They're the ones in red uh -huh. shirts without weapons. I'm like, I feel like somebody's being set up here. So the Kalon are attacking the Orville in their trailer. Yeah. And Sasha and I, with me at the lead. So thank you very much, Messy Desk Interactive, for putting me at the lead. I'm running out toward a Kalon warrior with nothing in my hands. Like as if I'm just, what am I going to do? Punch a Kalon? You're going to tackle them. Yeah. You think so? That's right. You're going to no. tackle them. Luckily, off to my right, Bordas is about to stun the guy. <laughs> with whatever phaser rifle setting that he's got set. So, but I, at least I'm in front, so I'm protecting you, Thank Sasha. You. Um, Thank I'm you, guessing that, Jeff, you're, you're perhaps the person that's crouched in behind Sasha, like, eh, please don't hurt me. What? 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 I'm just <laughs> guessing. You're the guy running into nah. danger, all like courageous, like, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, Jeff's the guy behind me. I don't know why. Why did they put me in a red shirt? Because running out in what? front of a Kalon attack with Bordas and the Kalon going at it, and I am running out into that action because it's with nothing in my hands. No, okay, five. maybe is that you what it is? Are the weapon? <laughs> I oh, oh right. yeah yeah beast oh. mode See? on beast mode on yeah you are the weapon. <laughs> Wicked. All right, we need to get out of your ego trip here. No, it's not an ego trip. I was honored, if anything no, it was else. Very cool. Um, very, very and cool. Um, so, if you don't know what we're talking about, of course, follow our new Twitter channel. I beg you, Union underscore Point on Twitter. 
Now explain that one for somebody who doesn't know the Orville. Well, if you are a fan of the Orville, that's the place to be because that's where we are working with uh, a variety of people that are working with the Orville in order to, I don't know, leak stuff that is coming soon. You know, that kind of stuff. Get you in the know. Yeah, you know. know. And speaking of leaking stuff that is coming soon, this evening, this week, on Category 5 Technology TV, we are joined by one of the creators of the Orville, the interactive fan experience. So exciting! So I'm going to be speaking with Dan, and we're going to be talking about that that project, how they've been able to make that come about. Um, And uh, just incidentally, so, and, and part of why I guess we were featured is because this is the same company, the same production studio that created the Stage 9 recreation of the Starship right. Enterprise. You remember that? Yes. That so, so fun. yeah, we went in and we, we dressed up in Starfleet uniforms. <laughs> we were on a green screen and uh, we, we showed off their project. And then CBS shut it down. I and feel like CBS has been doing that a lot with the Star Trek stuff. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Fox, on the other hand, um, has at least said, hey, this can go forward. And so that's where the Oroville Interactive Fan Experience comes in. So tonight we're going to be talking about that, learning about it uh, from one of the very creators of that project. Um, and just keeping in the back of our minds that it's the same people that brought us uh, Stage 9, is what it was called, NCC-1701D, the Starship Enterprise from uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. And it was a lot of fun supporting them back then, and now with this um, new unveiling of this product for the Orville, uh, we're uh, very thrilled to be a part of that. Uh, And finally able to talk about it. That's right. Yeah. Um, So that's coming up later in the show today. Uh, Before we get into it, uh, make sure that you subscribe to us on YouTube. You can uh, make sure also that you check off that bell. That's going to ensure that you receive those notifications whenever we are live. So if you're on your phone, it's going to say, hey, Category 5 TV is live. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's your time to, uh, to fire it up, pop the popcorn, and get ready to go. Shall we jump into it? So um, we are um, speaking about the Orville and the Orville fan, uh, interactive fan experience here this week. And uh, so I'm going to jump over to the green screen and we're going to have a chat with one of the creators. Okay. I'm speaking with Dan Govier. He's the project lead at the Orville interactive fan experience at Messy Desk Interactive. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be on. First off, how did your ragtag group of genius miscreants get started? Well, I guess um, it all began with a bunch of geeks just hanging out on the internet, trying to get us some Star Trek meshes. Uh, and slowly we kind of evolved into a, a semi-organized group um, <laughs> doing the Enterprise D. Um, yeah. Yeah, it just kind of uh, it just evolved from there. Mentioning the Enterprise D, so those who are not aware, Stage 9, you may be familiar with the name, CBS and Cease and Desist comes to mind. You and your team have been through a lot, Dan. Um, You've had some time to process it. How, at this point, do you feel about that whole thing? Well, to be honest, uh, we like to look on it as an opportunity. Um, It was a good practice run uh, managing a project of that kind of scale. Um, Obviously, we would have loved continued doing the enterprise deeper just wasn't possible but luckily 
um, there is a, another show out there which holds all the ideals that we hold dear to heart. So it's an obvious choice to move on to the Orgel. Is it just me or does sometimes it seems as though Avis shone upon you? <laughs> as a fan creation, Dan, Stage 9 and now, of course, the Orville Interactive Fan Experience, uh, they're very much a labor of love for you and your team. So uh, when the cease and desist happened, a lot of us would simply give up. You know, your dreams are like shot down in an instant like that. We were all really, really excited about what Stage 9 was doing. You were gaining momentum and then suddenly, snap, CBS shut it down. So can I just ask, like on a personal level, for yourself and for your team, what kept you guys going? I think grim determination <laughs> initially. Um, you know, we, we, we explored every avenue we possibly could to try and you know, keep the project alive. Um, and in the end, I mean, e even after it was obvious that it wasn't going to go anywhere, you know, we thought to ourselves, you know, a lot of talented guys, and it would be crazy to sort of all go across. So I think we're losing you there. If you could just, if you just watch, um, we seem to be losing you, but I think you're back. Uh, sorry, yeah, internet issues. There you go. Yeah, so, um, you know, we had a really talented team of developers and it would have been crazy to break that team up and go and do yeah. a thing. So, you know, we decided, you know, let's stick together. Let's do something else. Let's try and make the next project even more special than the last. Let's see what shows come along that uh, are not made by CBS. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dan, you guys made the announcement on Monday, and since then, we've been leaking screenshots through our Twitter account to fans of the Orville, just so that they can see what's coming from Messy Desk. Um, how has the response been from the fans for you guys? Wow, it's, it's been humbling, honestly. It's been extreme. I mean, we, we thought fans would probably get a kick out of what we were doing, um, but it exploded overnight. I think we had an extra 350 people join our Discord just in, in one afternoon. Wonderful. Um, yeah, absolutely mental. And, and, you know, honestly, we were so excited, this project. You know, seeing the fan excitement as well just drives us that little bit harder. To make it. And how about the creators of the Orville? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how they've responded to your fan project? Sure, yeah. Um, you know, we, we initially made a few phone calls, you know, hit some dead ends, didn't really know who to talk to. Um, but in the end, we got a hold of Tom on Reddit. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Tom's a huge, huge figure you know, in the community. He does such an amazing job of, of getting you know, the message out there. You know, and he deals with all the things. And, you know, he goes above and beyond. He, he represents, doesn't he? He really represents to us what, uh, what a community ambassador should, should be like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and we sent him a pitch video and, and he sent it back and just said, wow, you know, I've showed this to all the guys and, and everyone loves it. And then we thought, you know what, I think this can go somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So can I ask that pitch video, was it stage nine? Was it NCC 1701D or had you been working on something to do with the Orville? And so, yeah, we actually started work on the project um, about October, probably the beginning of October last year. Um, so we had some of the, from the first deck fleshed mm -hmm. out bridge, ready rooms, corridors, you know, we just did a, a quick fly around to show what we, um, and yeah, so we had a fair bit done quite quickly. 
it's since your launch or since the announcement of the coming launch, um, what has been the response of the creators of the show? Uh, they, they've been really supportive. Um, you know, they can't throw any kind of official backing behind it yeah. because it's not licensed. Um, you know, we hope maybe one day we can get a license, but right now, you know, they're, they're fans of the project as much as we're fans of the Orville. You know, so we've got a, like a, a fan-to-fan relationship. You know, there's nothing official going on there. Um, but it's great that they love it, and it's great that they get a kick out. And, um, you know, that means the world to us. Isn't that cool? So behind the scenes, being a fan project, it's not officially endorsed, but what kind of... Uh, you know, what kind of blessing do you have from the creators, or what kind of okay do you have to go ahead and do this? And I, I guess the best we've achieved is we haven't been told not to do the project. <laughs> um, so, you know, we've, we had a meeting with Fox. You know, Fox know who we are. You know, they know what we're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, they haven't given you know an official sort of green light or that, but. Um, you know, we have been allowed to go ahead and do a fan project, completely non-commercial, for fans, by fans, uh, you know, and on that basis, they're happy for it to exist. Very good. Uh, I can't wait to see where it goes. Uh, it's time for us to take a really quick break, Dan. Uh, when we get back, we're going to see some more in-game renders, and we're going to find out details about the game itself from the project lead, Dan Govier. And ultimately, we're going to get to the bottom of how you can set your virtual foot on the decks of the Orville. Stick around. Let's talk about the underlying technology. I, I hear you're using a current version of Unreal Engine 4. So, Dan, what has that meant for both you in the production end, uh, and by you I mean uh, Messy Desk, um, the entire team, uh, and what does it mean for the fans as well? Well, it's, um, it's a really, it's a huge platform, Unreal Engine, it's really well supported. Um, and it does things like VR out of the box really, really well. Yeah, and it's those um, it's those core systems which we're relying on quite heavily. Um, you know, and, and Unreal Engine is, you know, the blueprint interface is something that we're very fond of. You know, you can prototype system tools really, really. Throw it all. Um, you know, it's robust. It, it's mostly stable. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right? um, yeah, it's good to work with, and also it's got quite a lot of cross-platform support. So things like Steam VR and, and stuff are supported out of the box, which. Mm. which is a big yeah that's huge um you made the announcement and posted the video on monday and um it was really exciting of course for myself and sasha uh to see our likeness featured um so i suggested a couple of minor adjustments to our models just to make them look a little more true to us and you said that in fact players are going to be able to modify their own character models in game can you tell us about that Sure. I guess you can think of it as sort of an MMO-style character customization. So, you know, sort of body width and um, different facial styles, hairstyle, uniform colors, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
um, maybe extend it to other things like hats and stuff. Mm -hmm. The old stage nine Christmas hat. In. <laughs> I, I spotted that. That was one of the Easter eggs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it going to have multiplayer? It is planned for day one. I mean, we have tested it and it is working. Mm -hmm. um, it needs a little bit more stress. Because, um, obviously, we want to release something that works well and not something that works slightly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what kinds of... Sorry, I, I know our connection between Earth and, uh, and Europa is uh, a little shaky tonight, but um, I lost you just at the end there. Uh, what kinds of uh, multiplayer should we expect, Dan? Like, are we talking deathmatch? Are we talking collaborative? Sure. Well, um, initially, it's going to be um, literally just hang out with your friends, explore the ship together, um, you know, just have some adventures. Um, but you'll also be able to, to you know, pick up a pistol, shoot your friend in the face, because everything's <laughs> fun. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, you know, there'll, there'll be all kinds of shenanigans you can get up to in multiplayer. And we're quite keen to, to make a playground um, for the players to make their own adventures, in addition to some scripted stuff as well. Oh, that sounds awesome. I wasn't expecting the multiplayer aspect. Do we need to um, set up a server? Are there going to be publicly accessible servers? I can imagine that Union Point is going to launch one, uh, if that's an available option. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we're looking at Steam as a distribution platform. Okay. Um, so, so we'll be using the Steam multiplayer functionality. Um, oh, great. Great. So you should be able to direct connect with your friends on Steam. Peer to peer. Um, if there are some potential licensing issues there with it being an existing IP, um, whether or not we have permission to use Steam, but that's, that's the number one plan. Okay. If not, we're looking at something like a Minecraft model, so you could maybe run your own server, your friends can, uh, you know, or just join an existing hmm. That could be cool. Uh, what other features can we expect uh, that will really get us excited as far as like out of the box at launch day? What are we, uh, we going to see? Um, wow. It's difficult to say because we're going to do a, a staged release. So much like Stage 9, um, we'll release an initial version of the project. Yeah. Um, and that project will evolve over time. So we'll add more features you know, go along the line. Um, hopefully, we'll have the environment simulator in and on launch where you can load different sim. We've cool. got an idea is that we'll hide the, the actual chips that power the different sims around the ship. So you've got to find Hmm. Take them back to the nearest East Sim, plug it in, see what it runs. <laughs> There's plenty of opportunity for Easter eggs there. Very good. Uh, what, what kind? When I think about these features that are going to be coming, I mean, it sounds like the you're you're planning to launch a pretty well, like fully playable product right on day one. Is that right? Pretty much. Um, a lot of the shit won't be fleshed out uh, initially. Mm -hmm. Again, same with stage nine. So we'll, we'll probably go deck by deck. Um, there are, I'm going to say 10 decks yeah. so far. I mean, it's a bit of a squeeze. It looks like that staircase goes down about 1,000 decks. <laughs> yeah, it looks more than it is. It's only 10. Yeah, okay. How are you finding the size of the ship compared to NCC 1701D? Is, is this, uh, it's a lot, a lot smaller. Yeah. I think in terms of internal volume, you're looking something about the size of Voyager. Okay. So it's not a big ship. Um, but it's big enough. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we're going to be able to tour it in a very short amount of time. What kind of hardware requirements are there uh, going to be for this? Uh, less than Stage 9. It's a lot more optimized than Stage 9. So 
if you ran stage nine pretty well, then you should be absolutely fine for the auto bill. Um, I've, I've personally got a GTX 960, mm-hmm. um, and I usually pull 50 frames a second most places. So for me, it's working fine on a relatively mid-range graphic. Great. Um, if I don't have a VR headset, am I still going to be able to play okay? Yeah, so it's going to support first-person and VR, completely optional. Um, we're hoping this time to get both in the same release. So as before, you had to download two separate versions. Um, so hopefully, we'll get those combined. Oh, wouldn't um, that be fantastic? Fun. Oh, that's great. Um, speaking of like versions and releases, are we going to be um, seeing this project available for Mac, Windows, Linux, Android? Or are you targeting a particular platform? So initially, Windows, Mac, and Linux, so all three platforms supported. Great. Um, we've got a lot of people requesting PSVR. Um, yes, we'd like to, but the dev kit's quite expensive. Um, obviously, for a free, free fan project, funds are always going to be a problem. Yeah. Uh, but yes, if we can, we will. Um, and then, yes, we might have to do a, a more cut-down version for mobiles, but uh, I think Stage 9 was working briefly on mobile. So it's something we'll explore. Cool. Yeah, that, that raises an interesting kind of situation that you have, is that it, it could cost a lot of money to implement some of the features that fans want to see, but you can't charge for the product because it's a fan production, correct? Correct. So, so how, do you, how, how do you make that work? Like, is this all out of pocket, or is this something, is there some way that the community can back it? Uh, right now, it's all literally out of pocket. Um, as you said, this, this is a labor of love. You know, if we need a feature, we implement that feature. It's you know, how long it takes or how hard it is. It's kind of irrelevant. Because if we want it bad enough, you know, hmm. we put it in the game. Um, and that goes for the community as well. If the community at large has a particular feature that they're really keen on seeing in the game, then we'll do our best to get it in there. Very good. Um, and speaking of the fact that you can't uh, can't monetize it, how much will it cost us to install? And I know the answer, and I think that you watching it uh, at home know the answer, but how much is this going to cost us? Uh, free. Free. <laughs> Completely free. Uh, so what still has to happen? I mean, we're, we're, we know that you're hoping for early summer release 2019. What has to happen still before you can release the game to the public? So we're actually um, looking to release a set tour. So um, so the order was set on stage 15, box stage 15. Um, and we're going to recreate stage 15 as best we can. Uh, so it's just basically the first two decks of the ship. Oh. And we hope to have that up maybe three to four weeks for people. Um, but it's literally just the first two decks. Bit of a taster, bit of a demo. This is what we're up to. So you're going to tease us um, even more? I want to tour the whole ship. And that's just to give the fans, you know, something to play while they wait for us to release the, the proper version one. Yeah. Because um, we need to, to completely dismantle that and rearrange everything um, so it makes more sense as a proper working Starship. The, the layout on the soundstage is not particular for, for a Starship. Well, that sounds great. It's going to be nice that, uh, you know, I, I love that you're at least giving us a taste that we can get in and actually try it, see how our hardware handles it, and get ready for what's next. Do you have any particular needs in, in your uh, organization um, that 
uh, perhaps somebody in our community can support if, uh, you know, if you're looking for a particular talent or skill set? Are there any of those that are still um, maybe lacking or perhaps could use a little bit of help? Yeah. Um, so we recently took on someone that we found on Twitter. Um, you know, if, if there's someone out there um, and they're doing, you know, quality Orville-related work just as a passion project itself, and that's exactly the kind of person we bring onto the team because mm-hmm. um, it's someone that's, you know, they're already into the Orville. They already love the idea. You know, they feel that creative need to get modeling and drawing and code. And it's those kind of people we're looking for. So, yeah, I mean, if you continue to love the Orville, we'd love to hear from you. Are they best to reach out to you on Twitter or what's, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, Discords. Discord? Uh, we spend all day pretty much hanging out this point, so <laughs> hit us up on there. All right, and we'll post links for you. So if you're watching this and wondering, okay, how can I find this? We're going to post links below. And, of course, if you, uh, if you follow us on Twitter, uh, union underscore point, uh, we will have those links for you there as well. Dan, thank you so much to you and the team at Messy Desk Interactive uh, for your countless hours. I mean, I can't even imagine all the work that you have put into this for the fans of the Orville. And an extra special thanks to those who create the Orville for allowing this fan creation to go forward. You truly do remind us, sci-fi fans, what a real community ambassador should look like. That is so awesome. I'm so excited about this. Me too. Graphics were beautiful. Oh, yes. Yeah. Unreal Engine 4 is astonishing in its own right. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, the team at Messy Desk have just done a fantastic job of recreating mm-hmm. the entire experience. Um, so much so that Tom, in fact, said on Twitter that it's so realistic, it's scary. Like you, this is the guy. Scared. This you, is the guy who's standing there while the films are, uh, or while the crew is filming, mm-hmm. and he's standing in the actual physical um, studio space. That's cool. And now looking at the virtual space and saying that is uncanny. That's how yeah. accurate this has you been, and that's come, what they've been doing. You ought to come play it over at my house. I would like that. that yeah. let's She's that. got. Is it the vibe? I the vibe. The yeah. vibe. And I feel nice. like I need to forego other life expenses like food just so that I can buy a VR. Uh, and that's what folks just are come saying. On is, over oh, and, yeah. and I had no interest in in, uh, in VR, but now I, I want to go out and buy it. That's what right? folks are saying on yeah. Twitter, um, and uh, and that's kind of my thought as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of feeling that way. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. And who would have thought that the Orville, a creation of Seth MacFarlane, would would bring us here? I, I know. Like, when the show first started, it was kind of a joke. Not a joke as in, like, oh, my God. We goodness, thought it was going to be a spook yeah, is we what did. we were expecting. And it just turned in. It kind of has, like, this cult following now. Already. It's a great show. Season three hasn't even started but yet. But he's brilliant. So that's Yeah. Yes. sense that this would just. And I say yes with that vocal fry a little bit because, yes, he is brilliant. But I still can't get past the fact that Seth MacFarlane is Brian. Yeah. And I said that to to my wife, Becca. I said, <laughs> like, oh, look, Seth MacFarlane has brought out some some music and he's crooning and he's fantastic. He is. Oh. But he's also bit himself in the butt by being Brian. So when I hear his music, I'm thinking that's Brian. Right. In my mind's eye. Right. I need to get past that. I even said to my wife, I wish that I never saw the uh, family guy. So if you haven't seen family guy, don't watch it. 
until you've already become a fan. So you're one of, of those people that can like just lock and load a voice and you have that. As soon as I hear oh, Seth MacFarlane's crooning, I picture Brian. It's, you're the, the second dog. person to say that today. I was talking to yeah. somebody at work about this and, and he's like, you know what? I love the Orville. He's like, but all I hear is Brian. Yeah. I'm not that person. I can I can separate Ed Mercer though I can separate a little easier because he's not singing right. and there's a visual and he's doing a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's doing a lot. I mean some folks have said maybe he's taken taken on too much by being like the show's creator and like overseer and superstar and but that's how but he's doing a driven. really good job yeah. vision though you can't be driven by passion and want to do as much as you possibly can so yeah. maybe he's just doing as like as much as he his well, passion will allow him not do only passion with, but talent like, but yeah. look at it from the same way as cat five like right now you are like <laughs> the jack of all trades for cat five but imagine if you're like i just want some spare time i'm gonna farm out some of these functions you would lose some of that control yeah and it wouldn't have that essence of please the take some of that for right. me. <laughs> you would tear your hair out. Did I mention I'm going to be here until eleven o'clock at night yeah, producing yeah, this? <laughs> <laughs> but I can totally see on on his aspect. He's looking at it going, but this is how I maintain the vision I want. Oh, absolutely, right. so absolutely, yeah. That's and cool. and what has been created here is a fandom that is beyond anything that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I missed it for the next generation. I was a child. Yep. I was a, uh, an early teen. And I missed it for Enterprise because I didn't know that it was as good as it was. And until so I didn't ended? get into it until after it had ended. Yeah. There was no Twitter back then. There was no social media. So I missed the boat on that. And right. Here we are now. Here we've got an opportunity to be a part of a fan base that is active that's socially active so we have twitter and twitter is the best place probably to find um the orville Mm -hmm. and with things like our uh channel on twitter union underscore point uh you're gonna find that there's just so much of a community there Mm -hmm. it's so much so that even the creators of the show are interacting with the fan base and so when we say that Tom is interacting with the fan base, like, that's what we mean. Mm-hmm. Like, the very people who are working with the show and on set are, in fact, the people that are um, tweeting and sharing behind the scenes and, and right. talking with the fans. Right. So it's a whole different world. Mm-hmm. So exciting. I'm excited what the future's got for us. I know that we are video game superstars, but we're also fans. Right. Right. Yeah. Like we can wear both hats. With you, we are we are also <laughs> so fans. modest, Sasha. Yeah. So <laughs> but when you see us in the game, you'd be like, "There's there's Robbie, there's Sasha." Speaking yeah. of Sasha, it's time for the Sasha show. Are you ready? Certainly for the am. Sasha show, folks. Are you ready for the Sasha show? Here we go. All like right. Well, on that note, barbershop music. <laughs> what? We need twenties barbershop music for the Sasha show. Well, because you like the Sasha show, so I'm picturing like Sasha show. You do that. I'm not doing that. We need just to work so on our harmonies after, yeah. after, after tonight's show. Yeah. Next week, folks, we're going to have the barbershop quartet, <laughs> or the duet. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.tv newsroom. Remember Microsoft's Patch Tuesday security update with all the critical security fixes? Sophos is telling, us, telling its users to roll it back if they want to be able to boot their computer. Baltimore's ransomware nightmare could last weeks more with big consequences as houses can't be sold and bills can't be paid while city networks are shuttered. 
South Korea wants to switch switch government computers to Linux-based software, ditching Microsoft Windows in the process. And Google admitted Tuesday its paid-for G Suite of cloudy apps aimed at businesses stored some user passwords in encrypted plain text. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. This is the Category 5.TV Newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. Jeff Weston. Yaman. You're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? Oh, you're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? Just because Jeff is confused doesn't mean you have to be. Visit cat5.tv slash dreamhost to sign up for unlimited web hosting for your website with unlimited email accounts, MySQL databases, the latest version of PHP, WordPress, and more, and even a free domain name registration. It's less than $6 per month, so sign up today. cat5.tv slash dreamhost. I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. Remember Microsoft's Patch Tuesday security update with all the critical security fixes? Sophos is telling its users to roll it back if they want to be able to boot their computer. These are the same patches that protect servers against the latest Intel exploits. In an advisory note published over the weekend, Sophos admitted that the latest batch of Windows updates are causing the machines of some people using its antivirus software to hang on boot while getting stuck while displaying the message configuring 30%. Its advice on what to do is pretty blunt. Uninstall Windows Update. Specifically, revert KB4499164 and KB4499165. The problem with that advice is that the patches are intended to mitigate a nasty vulnerability which permits unauthenticated remote code execution through the remote desktop service. We pointed out last week that the issue is so serious that Microsoft has even released patches for its long unsupported operating systems, Windows 2003 and Windows XP. Sophos themselves have also reiterated the severity of this exploit, yet their advice remains, remove the fix. Microsoft is taking this bug very seriously, saying the vulnerability could be abused to spread a worm similar to the way the WannaCry propagated networks a couple of years back. So far, nobody has seen an in-the-wild use of the exploit for this vulnerability identified by Microsoft, but in this day and age, it's only a question of time, especially now that miscreants know about the issue. Quote, Sophos is working diligently on determining the issue and will provide ongoing customer guidance, end quote. In other words, they're being vague about what the problem is, how long it will be before they fix it for their users. It's so, very concerning. Being vague. Go figure. Huh, yeah, weird. but a security company who says, hey, remove the security patches, that's dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So, and a dangerous precedent. Exactly. Yeah. So asking somebody to remove the update that protects them from the WannaCry-like wanna exploit seems worse to me than saying i'm sorry that you've lost your computer <laughs> hang tight we'll figure something out yeah. sorry it's stuck at 30 percent like you know what i mean like i wouldn't be saying to people now just go ahead and uninstall that. you know what let's fix the problem yeah 
make it so it's not a problem. Yeah. I guess it makes uh, me wonder if I don't was, envy them. If it was just somebody going, well, what do they do in the meantime? I'll just uninstall it. Like mm-hmm. you know, was somebody just not thinking like, well, they can just get rid of it? I think they just determined that this is a problem between Sophos and the Windows update. Yeah. So, what do you do? Do you remove Sophos? No. You install and Linux. You don't. Un- well, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> presumably. but you don't uninstall the update that's going to protect against a huge ransomware exploit. Like it's mm-hmm. it's going to be huge. Can be. It could be huge. Not. It's I mean, this is a code really. execution exploit that allows right. not only the execution but the propagation of a worm. Right. On a network of computers. So with one compromised computer, which is easy to compromise yeah. and to elevate your privileges to a point where you can execute tasks as the administrator without any intervention or issue. Yeah. I without even you, having to know a password. If it was serious enough that Windows was willing to... Yeah. Like... Microsoft. Microsoft was like, hey, antiquated, unsupported operating systems here. Yeah. Like, like, I will happily cover this update for you. The problem is, though, chances are if somebody's still running an old version, mm-hmm. like XP or something, mm-hmm. their system may not be able to handle the upgraded software. Like, you couldn't just take an old XP computer and put Windows 10 on it. Like, it, oh. it could grind to a halt. But also, that brings to mind another thought, is that if you're using Windows XP and you have Sophos, mm-hmm. you are using an old version of Sophos. Right. Right. You can't install the new version because it requires Windows 10. Right. Huh. That's something I haven't thought of. Yeah. Could you just install Linux? <laughs> that's that's, the that's your time that's our answer to everything. <laughs> yes, if you want to breathe new yeah. life into your computer and forget about all these woes that you hear about week after week, because we're always going on about Microsoft screwing things up and breaking things and sitting at thirty percent updated and Could so you how frustrating that is. Oh, especially I, I if you can get, because I work in the industry. Especially if you get to thirty percent quickly, that's the thing. Yeah. Oh, it's just clocking along. I'll just go whip up a grilled cheese or something yes. swing Ooh. on back like a half hour later it's still at 30 yeah you're like oh wait hold on here something <laughs> i always end up doing the the updates overnight mm-hmm. and that way i don't have to care oh so you plan your windows updates i plan my updates wow so, that's a novel idea so it doesn't impact and my an day i don't like it when i turn off the computer process. and my two options are update and shut down or update and restart and i'm like oh wait now <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and from the mind of Solbu in our chat room who says, computers are like air conditioners. They don't work properly if you open windows. Oh, burn. <laughs> Last word. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> Baltimore's ransomware nightmare could last weeks more with big consequences as houses can't be sold and bills can't be paid while city networks are shuttered. It's been nearly two weeks since the city of Baltimore's networks were shut down in response to a ransomware attack, and there's still no end in sight to the attack's impact. It might be weeks more before the city services return to something resembling normal. Manual workarounds are being put in place to handle some services now, but the city's water billing and other payment systems remain offline, as well as most of the city's emails and much of the government's phone systems.
Unlike the city of Atlanta, which suffered from a Sam Sam ransomware attack in March of 2018, Baltimore has no insurance to cover the cost of a cyber attack. So the cost of cleaning up the Robinhood ransomware, which will far exceed the approximately $70,000 the ransomware operators demanded, will be borne entirely by Baltimore citizens. Baltimore's information security manager warned of the need for such a policy during a budget hearing last year, but in the final the final budget did not include funds for that policy, nor did it include funding for expanded security training for city employees or other strategic investments that were part of the mayor's strategic plan for the city's information technology infrastructure. City officials have provided a few details about the extent of the attack as the city is cooperating with an FBI investigation. But it appears that the ransomware was triggered on some systems in the early hours of May 7th when email service was suddenly interrupted. The city's response to the attack has thrown many city services into disorder or shut them down entirely. The attack was first reported by Baltimore's Department of Public Works when the department's official Twitter account announced that its email access was cut off and it reported phones and other systems were affected soon afterward. As it became clear what was happening, the city's Office of Information Technology team shut down nearly all of the city's non-emergency systems to prevent the further spread of the attack. It's not clear how widespread the ransomware was within the network, but the city's email and IP-based phones were among the systems affected. The Mayor's Office of Information Technology has been struggling to regain its footing over the past two years after a string of fired chief information officers. Four consecutive CIOs were fired or forced to resign over a period of five years. Frank Johnson, who now holds the titles of both CIO and digital officer for the city, was hired in November 2017 after leaving a position as a regional vice president of sales for Intel. Johnson led the development of a digital strategy for the city that aimed to bring Baltimore's IT spending more in line with the those of similar size cities and transform its IT practices. According to a 2018 strategy document, Baltimore spends about half of what other cities budget for IT and the Office of Information Technology only controls about 1% of the total budget. The city's primary website is hosted on Amazon Web Services and operated by a contractor. But the city almost lost that website earlier this month, too, but not because of ransomware. The contract for operating the site had expired, and the city was delinquent in its payments. First of all, did, yeah, did they use Sophos by any chance? <laughs> did they, like, remove... The patches that were going to protect them from this? I, I feel like as this story went on, this was just a series of unfortunate events, mistakes that could have easily have prevented the whole thing. Like yeah. when you're sitting you there going, "Oh, they had an IT strategy, but they didn't budget put it in place." Right? For it. Yeah, they mm -hmm. oh, they talked about increasing the budget line for training, but they didn't. Oh, oh they had people that gosh. weren't doing their job, so they got rid of them and they hired somebody else, but it didn't work. It's like. Come and they didn't on. listen. Yeah. So they finally hired an IT person who knows what they're doing right? who, who and doesn't pitched, listen to them. Right, who pitched a great idea yeah. and they just ignored them. Like, can you imagine that guy being like, knock, knock, knock. I just want to say, told I you told so. you so. Exactly. Like, 
So remember that but thing like, that I told you yeah. might happen and probably would happen? But you know it what sucks? Happened. You now know what, what sucks? He's a person just like us. Right. It's still his job. Yeah. And you're yeah. still just trying to eke your way through life, you know? Right. And now these these ransomware guys that have got a hold on that city. For the right? second time in 12 months. Right. So now what? Listen to your IT manager, the person that you hired <laughs> right. to be your CIO, right. and yeah. put some money into infrastructure that is going to protect you from these types of attacks. Don't be an idiot. I, I, I truly feel like people need to wise up in today's sure they do tech why does world. it take having to have an entire city compromised twice in a row are they going to wise up now they got to be smart like <laughs> I, I get budgets i get you know cost savings but there are certain things that you just don't want to ignore it's it's kind of like life insurance you know, you should have life insurance because you never know what's going to happen in life and it's, a lot of people are like oh i can't afford life insurance i don't want to it's maybe i'll never die <laughs> but you want to have that protection. And it's the same with the tech. Like, have, it's yeah. going to happen. In today's world, right. something bad is going to happen. Protect yourself. Right. So now the city of Baltimore, the residents are going to have to foot the bill for the ransomware. Yeah. Hold on. And Not then, even. Just to then. recover. Yeah. Yeah. Which okay. is more than and the Consider then. this. The cost to mitigate proactively would have been less right. than the cost to mitigate reactively. Yep. Right. Think about that. The number of days that have been lost by workers, mm -hmm. the, the amount of money that they're having to still pay staff yeah. who yep. have to bring in their home laptop because they can't use right. work computers. Mm -hmm. I can't, but not only that, I, I mean... Imagine. I don't the, want to imagine. But you think about the fact that people can't pay their water bill. What happens when the city goes, okay... We got it all fixed now. I know it's been three months, but you now owe us three months of water bill. And people are going, I don't have three months of water bill. Yeah. Like, that money is gone. Now, granted, they should have budgeted, but is there going to be repercussions to this mm -hmm. where it's like, I, we know, I know we couldn't take your money for three months, but now you owe us everything. And because, you know, we got to pay for And a fee for late for. payment. So you're thinking they're going to have to collect on debts to yeah. themselves in order to. I could totally see that happening. This. Yeah. Mm hmm. And that's just not fair to the citizens who are probably sitting there thinking like I am, what the heck? Yeah. What is our government doing? It's too bad. I mean, and this is, this trickles down. This is not just a government thing. This is not right. just a Baltimore thing. This is a business thing. I've had customers who have been in the same situation where ransomware has hit after I've made suggestions for proactive prevention. Right. And backups. Backups are a huge deal. Oh. And ransomware has hit. And then they look at the cost of recovery. Okay, let's get back up and running. Let's, okay, mm -hmm. we're back in business two weeks later, mm -hmm. right? After losing so much business and so much time. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, let's just keep going along. Okay, we've, we've, we've recovered. No, hold on. Wait. You still don't have active backups. You still don't have proactive protection against this thing. And you still have blooming remote desktop turned on on your computers <laughs> what the heck are you thinking no yeah. we need to stop this now so that it doesn't happen again and then it happens again this is what happened to baltimore right and this is what i've seen time and time again and it's infuriating and yet 
I, I'm just the indignant IT guy that is like, I, t- I, I told you I, so, right? I told yeah. you so, but not but so much as say, not, not to rub it in like, your face, exactly. but to say, come on, please listen to me. Right. So please just spend the money so proactively. What is your, what is your script kind of sound like? Okay. This time you didn't prevent it, but let's fix it and let's prevent it for the future. Like it always comes down to the money though. Right. And that's where it's like, okay, you need to be proactive. But how do they assume that they're not going to be hit again? Like, how do they assume they're not going to be hit to begin with? Nobody assumes they're going to be hit twice. Nobody right. assumes exactly. they're going to be hit three and times. That's the issue. But I, uh, People think they're not going to hit. The, I already got hit. Yeah. I'm good. They're going to move on. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. But you still have remote desktop turned on. And, and <sighs> I think we need to get through our heads, too. Mm-hmm. that ransomware attacks are very often untargeted. Right. We fall into this complacent state where we believe that ransomware attacks are targeted. No, they're just looking Why right. would it's anyone want to attack me? Exactly. It's not a person looking at you as a business right. or a company. It's You're a just bot a that's just looking yep. for an open door, and then they find it, and they get mm-hmm. you. It's yep. like, so think of it this way. So ransomware is the teenage kid that is walking through a parking lot of a mall, pulling on every door handle, right. pulling on every door handle, just to see what one opens. Yeah. And as soon as one opens, what do they do? And I'm not saying teenage kids are bad. I'm just, this is just an it's example, just, just to, to put an analogy on Broad there for you. Of the brush. Open, a door opens, what's on the seat, what's, what's easy to grab? Right. Right? So similarly... If you've got doors open and they're walking around, these are the bots. Yeah. They're just walking around, pulling on door handles. Mm-hmm. It's not a targeted thing. It wasn't your car that they targeted. Mm-hmm. You left the stupid door open. That's right. So lock your doors, folks. <laughs> yep. And if it costs money to put a lock in, then do it. Mm-hmm. And if we've learned anything from Baltimore, Baltimore that's what it is. Listen to Robbie. <laughs> yeah, buy my antivirus. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good sale. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Except they have no money left. <laughs> True. Yeah. South Korea wants to switch government computers to Linux-based software. Nice. Yeah, ditching oh, Microsoft Windows in the process. The country's Ministry of the Interior and Safety believe that migrating away from Microsoft Windows will lower costs and reduce reliance on a single operating system. With 2020 bringing the end of free support for Windows 7, a system widely used throughout the South Korean government, the timing is prudent. There's no word yet on what sort of Linux distribution South Korea might use or whether the government would create its own, but there are a few hurdles Linux needs to clear first. Although Linux is free to use for anybody, even governments, moving to a Linux-based OS is not a cost-free endeavor. In fact, the ministry expects switching to Linux will cost a cool $655 million U.S. That takes into account the price of implementation, transition, and the purchase of new PCs. The ministry plans to test run Linux on its systems to check for compatibility and security issues. And if no major issues are encountered during the pilot run, then Linux systems will roll out more widely, potentially serving as the catalyst for more governments to adopt Linux. Whether South Korea switches to Linux in the end or not, it's nice that Linux is being viewed as a viable, practical choice by those in charge. Well, I'd have to agree with that. Uh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Way to go, South Korea. You rock. 
<laughs> That's kind of the trend that we're in, though, right? Like, if you are on Windows 7 in your networks and you have to upgrade or pay for support after January, mm-hmm. why not be looking at Ubuntu? Sure. Why not be looking at some flavor of Linux that is a rolling release there's no with linux there's no none of this windows 7 windows 10 when you know whatever's next and having to mm-hmm. buy and upgrade every computer no you can you can roll out rolling upgrades when a new version comes out you roll to the next version right, right. and it continues to be free so you're reallocating those funds from licensing to labor essentially right. so you're giving jobs to your people and uh, and and funding families and people within your your community and and at the same time, yeah. licensing licensing you're using the license of free software. Right, so that's fanta- fantastic. You will not be the last. You may be the first, but you will not be the last. <laughs> not even the, the first. first <laughs> I don't know. No, you may be. But it's big. I mean, that's, that's a big, big. number, that's a huge and uh, and so I I I'm not sure what number of computers that represents but it's got to be huge right more than five at least five <laughs> at least five <laughs> at least five yeah and it has we we talk about antivirus and things like that and mm-hmm. so then it's like okay well how does that impact the bottom line of antivirus now yeah anti-malware right and then we've got to start looking at, okay, so even if you're on Linux, you still need to have some kind of proactive protection so that if there are rogue things occurring within your network that you are aware of those. Yep. Right. So it shifts. You're shifting from antivirus, because viruses are not an issue, to simple, um, simple remediation of or even being able to monitor assets in such a way that you can track m- malicious traffic. Mm-hmm. I wonder Does if Nagios South that much? No, Nagios is a notification, <laughs> a notification subsystem. So a different could, thing altogether. But could South Korea just like call Baltimore? Not right now because their phones aren't working. But like <laughs> and laugh at them. <laughs> and be like, hey guys, we've got this great idea. <laughs> you yeah. Hey, switch to Linux. <laughs> yeah. That's at the top of their list. Gotcha. <laughs> There's nothing else they're worried about, but that's at the top of the list. <laughs> if this works out, you might want to give it a try. Oh my goodness, that's funny. If Ubuntu gets the contract, maybe Canonical can make that call. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Google admitted Tuesday its paid-for G Suite of cloudy apps aimed at businesses stored some user passwords in encrypted plain text. Hashing is a standard industry practice that protects credentials by scrambling them using a one-way encryption algorithm. Administrators of accounts affected by the security blunder were warned via email that, in certain circumstances, passwords had not been hashed. Google was at pains to stress it was the enterprise, non-consumer version of G Suite affected, that there were no signs of misuse of the passwords, and that the passwords were encrypted at rest on the disk. Though, because they were not hashed, their sensitive contact was not fully secured. Suzanne Suzanne Fry, Google VP of Engineering and Cloud Trust, explains of the administrator's ability to change user passwords. 
Quote, we made an error when implementing this functionality back in 2005. The admin console stored a copy of the unhashed password. This practice did not live up to our standards. To be clear, these passwords remained in our secure encrypted infrastructure. This issue has been fixed and we have seen no evidence of improper access or misuse of the affected passwords. Further, she went on to advise of a second flaw, this one in the user login system saying, we discovered that starting in January 2019, we had inadvertently stored a subset of unhashed passwords in our secure encrypted infrastructure. These passwords were stored for a maximum of 14 days. This issue has been fixed and again, we have seen no evidence of improper access to or misuse of the affected passwords. We will continue with our security audits to ensure that this is an isolated incident." End quote. Google has already begun changing passwords for affected accounts that have not already done so. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's a good news story that it wasn't used maliciously. I can't That we know of. <laughs> right, but I can't right. help but wonder, how did it go on since 2005 and not get noticed? Because I don't know. They're being very transparent about it. And so there are, you know, there's a couple of different facets to this story and that, okay, well, who did have access to it? And right. were there any exploits that would have allowed a malicious party to access that data? Of course, internal staff could have accessed that data, but there's no evidence to say that they did. Right. So, so it's in internal infrastructure. Yeah, so it's like they, it, they're there and they're like locked away on a disk, like not to be accessed from the outside world. Right. And they are somewhat encrypted they're encrypted but they're not hashed so right. so they're like first level of they were like passworded with password one two three kind of thing there's what? a password there it's just not super no great. well let's let's <laughs> yeah. to summarize what this means as far as security goes so yeah. an encrypted block can theoretically be de-encrypted they're right right unencrypted so that data can be recovered and, right. and reversed. Okay. A hashed um, block or uh, of of information, typically, if it's done correctly, is yeah. done in such a way that it it's one direction, though encrypted. Nah. But if it's properly done, like a hash, if it's right. just a hash, then um, it's it's a it's not reversible. Okay. So. How does that make sense? So what use is it if you can't reverse it? So if 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 you say to me, okay, my password is password one two three, right? And I say, okay, here's my hashing algorithm, and that is now hashed as this, okay? And it's this bunch of gibberish, okay? So I can never take that hashed information and turn it back into password one two three. However, because I know the hashing algorithm, if you ever come to me with the password and say, my password is password123, I can then hash that and say, okay, let's compare that to the hash. Does it match? Yes, it matches. I'll allow you access. So even though I don't know your password, I don't know what the hash is, or the, the decrypted hash, I do know that if you enter your password again, I can hash again using the same algorithm and will result in the same result. This is the moment where I get it. 
Yeah. (laughs) Versus encryption, which is taking password one, two, three and just obfuscating it and encrypting it, which can then be unencrypted back into password one, two, three. Got it. It's a different different direction of the protection. So hashing is much more secure. Okay. Significantly so. And Google has said this, right? Like when you know better, you do better. Like they've said, okay. Sure. This and is they know the better. Deal. Yeah. They know better. Yeah. And some they're... some intern got let go over this. I'm I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure. but they were around in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> they might already yeah. be retired. It was probably me. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got to uh, jump into our cryptocurrency market just to see where things lie. And things are not looking quite as nice as they were last week. I mean, if you took my advice, which I did not <laughs> give, but if you bought Bitcoin last week, of course, it was high and it's gone down about $430 US. It is now sitting at $7,711.65. Litecoin is down um, to $88.54 US dollar equivalent. Ethereum is the one coin that we track that has gone up just a little ways by $4.23 US and is currently sitting at $245.17. Monero is at $84.19, also losing about 8 bucks. And Torque, aka Stellite, or PKA Stellite, is down at 1.54, ten thousandths of a cent. And your turtle coin, Jeff, I'm sorry is only at 1.26 ten thousandths of a cent. Right. So those three turtle coin you have, keep I have saving. More than three. Yeah, do you? I have more than three. Well done, sir. I actually lost count. Yeah, that's a good place to be in when it comes yep. to cryptocurrency. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category 5.TV newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category 5.TV newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. And I'm Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Jeff Weston. Thank you for joining us this week. We will be right back. Stick around. Whether you shop on ThinkGeek, GearBest, B&H Photo Video, eBay, or Amazon, or even if you want a free trial of Audible, you'll find the best deals and support the shows we produce by simply visiting the shopping sites you already frequent by using the links on our website. Visit Category5.tv slash partners for the full and ever-growing list and help us create more free content like this show. Thank you for shopping with our partners, and thank you for watching. Well, this is Category 5 Technology TV. It's been episode number 609, and fantastic to have you here with us again this week. Uh, Just a quick reiteration, thank you to everybody who has been supporting Category 5 TV. Uh, We're very, very excited to be almost ready to rebuild our broadcast system. And when we do that, yeah, I'm looking at being able to update our broadcast to higher resolution. And currently querying our patrons and you at home, 
what would that mean to you? Do you have a 4K TV that it would be beneficial for you to have 2.5K uh, of Category 5 technology TV? I mean, those are possibilities because simply replacing our broadcast system with something more current is going to bring us to that point where we now have the capability to go up to 4K. So, um, you know, what do we want to do with that? I mean, it's just an adverse effect of the uh, the replacement, which is therefore an upgrade. So thank you to everybody who's been supporting us in that venture. Um, it is a requirement for us here at the studio because our current broadcast server is uh, is on its way out. It's beyond its last legs. And uh, I'm very, very pleased and excited to know that we're soon going to be rid of that <laughs> old beast. I love her, but she's done. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, it comes down to editing on it is a brutal nightmare. Oh. Yeah. The so, end is near. It is, yes. And also, thanks to our patrons um, who go to uh, patreon.com slash category 5 TV. Cool way to support us because mm-hmm. you give as little as a buck a month and that's, uh, that's going into our, our monthly bills rent, insurance, internet, all those kinds of things, and just helps us to keep on top of things so that when things come up that we need to replace, we're more readily able to uh, to cover those and knowing that our bills are paid each and every month. And so thank you to those who are uh, taking us on as, uh, as a patron. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on Twitter. Um, join us at Category 5 TV. You can also follow me personally at Robbie Ferguson, and I do follow back. And as we mentioned on this week's show, we also now have a Twitter account dedicated to the Orville fan community, and it is called at Union underscore point. And I hope to see you there. And incidentally, I follow back on that one as well. We're on YouTube at, uh, as Category 5 TV, and uh, you can search for us there. Or if you prefer to watch edited down snippets of Category 5 TV, you can go to linuxtechshow.com. We're on every platform that you can possibly desire <laughs> to watch a podcast on. And uh, if you don't see us on your favorite profile or, or platform, just let us know, and we will reach out to those in power and tell them to add us and they will make it happen. I promise you that. Yeah, every everywhere. (laughs) Everything comes together on our website, category5.tv. So if you don't feel like Googling for us and trying to track us down on your platform, just head on over to our website and everything's there. It's been fun having you here. Thanks for joining us this week, everybody, and take care. See ya.